Welcome back to Tell Me What Happened, the podcast that features folks from all walks of life telling us one story from their childhood and how that event impacted who they are today. I'm your host, Jay Rehack, and like you, I've had my share of childhood experiences that impacted who I am today. But I'd like to think that everything that happened to me has helped make me a better person. Tell Me What Happened is sponsored by Sidelining Publishing, publishers of quality books including Susan Salador's classic, One Little Act of Kindness, available on Amazon.com and wherever quality books are sold. Tell Me What Happened is also sponsored by LaughSaver.com. Visit LaughSaver.com and record your laughter. We'll keep it for you now and forever. It's free and your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren will thank you for it. That's LaughSaver.com. All right. Well, today I have as my guest a good friend of mine, Bill Ayers, distinguished professor of education at the University of Illinois. He has written extensively about social justice, democracy, and teaching as an essentially intellectual, ethical, and political enterprise. His books include About Becoming a Teacher, Teaching Toward Freedom, and To Teach. He also writes the podcast Under the Tree, a seminar on freedom. Welcome, Bill. Nice to see you, Jay. Bill, are you ready to tell your story? I am. All right, Bill, I'm going to get out of the way. At the end, I'm going to ask you just one question. How do you think that story and that event impacted who you are today? But take it away, Bill. I'm the middle child of five in my birth family. I learned to play up with the big kids, and I learned to play down with the littles. I learned to get along with everyone, as well as to get to the dinner table early and to eat fast. Optional chewing became a way of life for me. It still is. I was born near the end of World War II. I grew up in suburban Chicago in a time of peak everything, peak oil, peak prosperity, peak conformity. And I had the sweetest mom in the world. Her personal motto perfectly fitted the tone and temperament of her circumstances and her times. It'll be fine. She said it no matter what happened, it'll be fine. I remember coming home bleeding one day because I'd run into a tree on my bicycle, knees bruised, elbows bleeding. And mom took one look at me and said, it'll be fine. And of course she cleaned it up and it was fine. She had a status of a kind of clairvoyant, you know? She always said it'll be fine. It always was fine. That was her wellspring and principal channel, but she had many, many brooks and streams. For example, everyone in our family remembers the, that when mom was on the beach one day and a tick was burrowing into her calf and she looked at the tick and she said, that is really interesting. And we all howled with laughter. Interesting, a tick is eating you. What are you talking about? But that was mom. And anytime anything came up from that day on, anything despicable or odious or unpleasant, the family motto was, that's interesting, like a tick bite you know, because that was mom's, mom's way. Her excessive joy, unbounded optimism, her generosity and good cheer, her surplus happiness was both a gift and a bit of a curse. She was the captain of her ship and captain of mine as well when I was a kid. 
and it was a ship of high expectations for the good, a confidence to act in happiness for ourselves and for the world. So I was born on a ship of hope in a world of privilege, a ship, a, a ship of fools and a sea of carelessness. Whenever, whatever I would become, whatever we'd make of ourselves, we launched from that certain happy deck. I loved war movies. As I said, it was the end of World War II. And I was in love with John Wayne, Montgomery Cliff, Henry Fonda. I just thought these were the, the, the greatest things in the world. I was at the Glen Theater every Saturday afternoon and the, the movies swallowed me. And they kind of poured into our games in the street. We played war games every night, every summer. We would race up and down the neighborhood war games, different crews, different tribes. But one summer morning when I was about 10, at an age when war play was beginning to fade as a preoccupation, the calm and quiet of my neighborhood was shattered by the sounds of sirens. Ambulances and fire trucks rushed up the street, converging on the house right across from ours. And I ran barefoot with my brothers and my sister to see what was happening. Kids from everywhere crowded the lawn and we were thrilled to have serious looking cops tell us stay back. I was giddy, I was excited and happy, joking and roughhousing with my friends. And I was gripped by a fresh tingling feeling of the expectant scene. Within moments, a surge of firefighters spilled through the front door, hosting a stretcher with a bloody body flung upon it. It was Jimmy, a kid just eight years older than me. And I'd known him and he'd blown his brains out with a handgun. I got sick. Jimmy, I found out later, didn't want to go to Korea. He felt like a misfit. Plus, he was high strung, I was told, and must have been temporarily insane. I realized then that there was a world beyond our green lawns and our neatly trimmed hedges. And that's my story. Yeah, man, that makes me cry to think about that poor kid. And uh, I think about you, too, even our, even your family at the... Uh... A little guy joking around, and all of a sudden it turns serious on you. But that must have been some traumatic moment for you, there, Bill. Staggering, staggering, and suddenly the real world pressed in in a way that was completely unexpected. Well, I know you for many years, as you know. You and I go back a long way because we're both educators, and I actually knew you before you knew me, which is to say, you're sort of famous in a way because of your anti-war activism. I don't want to jump on the impact of Jimmy's death on you, but I, as, a, as an outside observer, I can't help but think that your kid's death may have turned you. I don't know. I don't want to speak for you. I'll, I'll, I'll let you well, tell me how you think it's impacted your life. Well, I would say there's two things, Jay, and one is that war wasn't funny anymore, that what seemed heroic and manly uh, from the movies suddenly seem hollow and frightening. And so that's one impact for sure. But the other is that realizing that there's a world beyond your narcissism, beyond your scope, beyond the suburbs, beyond America, to realize that there's something bigger. And that's become a, a lifelong quest of mine is to, and, and I say it to my students all the time, we have to spend our time trying to open our eyes, not once where we see everything and then we're all completely clear. No, you have to open your eyes every day anew 
and you have to find new perspectives, new angles of regard, and you have to kind of act on what the known demands of you. I would not, I, I was living, I was kind of with my mother, sleeping the deep, deep American sleep of denial. And when you wake up from that, it can be quite shocking, but also important to your own humanity. Yeah, that I guess that is interesting. I, I, I as you say it, I, I am thinking of the contrast of your mother saying it'll be fine. It's like, yeah, but also there's a lot of stuff out there that we maybe we maybe maybe we can do something about. Maybe I don't know. I, I don't know. You know. I mean, but this is a good example where Jimmy's coming out on a stretcher, and there's no it'll be fine for Jimmy. It will not be fine, nor for his mother. And um, you know that was the end. And. And it was something so amazing to me. And eight years later, I was at the University of Michigan and I was blinking my eyes open and I saw a world on fire. And I felt like I had to act on that world. And that has been the defining, I guess, a defining feature of my conscious life is wanting to open my eyes and see what's underneath the, the neatly trimmed hedges and so on. And that's really beautifully put, Bill. I mean, I, I tell you, like I said, I've known you for a thousand years. I know you've been teaching at the U of I for a million years and helping young teachers try to get, I think, to that understanding. It's a big world out there and we got to try to give everybody a chance to see it and everybody a chance to live with eyes wide open and not, not necessarily in a false sense of security. And at the same time, you don't want to have people walking around in despair either. It's got well, I mean, I think that I think that there's there's two things really, Jay, and you and I have talked about this forever. But one is exemplified in your teaching, which is you have to have one eye aimed at your children, at your students. You have to you have to see them as fully as you can see them, not as little bits of deficit, not as little labels, but you have to see them as the full human beings they are. That's one eye. The other eye has to be looking to a world that could be, and maybe should be. And that's the whole idea of expanding your horizons, getting out of your narcissistic zone and trying to see with empathy and generosity, a big, big world that's dynamic and ever changing. But it's the two things because you have to see the kid and you have to see the kid fully and in scale, you know? So you, you go from the smallest of tiny details to the largest concentric circles of meaning and and uh, history and culture. It's an exciting profession, isn't it? It really is. And I've, I've been blessed to be in it for a while. Me and, too. Uh, and I loved every minute of it. I think I tried my best every minute of it. Before we got on the air, we were talking about your son, who is actually, a, I don't know if he's an elementary school or a high school teacher. No, he's a, he's a middle school math teacher in okay. Oakland, California. And he's a lifer. He's been at it for 15 years. And um, he's going to stay at it. But he's that teacher that the kids want to crowd into his room at lunchtime and, you know, he, they want to hang out with them after school. He's that teacher. If I say to him, Malik, you're a great teacher, he says, Pops, don't say that. I'm a guy who tries to show up every day and do a, a decent job. I said, that is greatness in teaching. That is greatness. You know, you don't have to be Jaime Escalante or some movie star to do the work. Amen to that, man. I, I'm glad. I'm glad that you were professor for all those years, tell, telling these teachers the same thing, or these wannabe teachers or prospective teachers the same thing. Because, because I think I did get into the business thinking so I was going to solve everybody's problem, and that really isn't how it worked. You just do the best you can do. 
the astonishing thing, Jay, you know, I think, I think you and you and I and the folks we know who we admire as teachers, we have a personality flaw, and the personality flaw is we don't need much feedback to keep going. I can have one student come back to me. I can have one student come back to me and said, "You know, you made a difference in my life." And I always say, "Was it a positive difference?" And if they say yes, that'll keep me going for another five years. You know, I mean, I don't need much. I don't need much. Amen to that. I think that's that's exactly right. I. Definitely been blessed to have those occasional moments where somebody says something nice, and then it's like, okay, I got the, uh, I got the but, engine, uh, the gasoline to keep going for a while. Exactly, but but if you go into it, uh, you know, I always ask teachers, "Are you in this to get rich and famous?" And they laugh at me. I say, "Good, I don't have to start at the very beginning." But you know, you you know, you. <laughs> You're not going to get rich. You're not going to get famous by being a teacher, but you're going to find yourself doing ethical work day in and day out on the ground, real life ethics. And that's different than becoming a lawyer, reading the, you know, warranties on toaster ovens or whatever lawyers do. You don't get the recognition, but you get the joy. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lifetime of it. I've, I've enjoyed every minute of it. I've been blessed every minute of it, even though at the time, every once in a while, I do look around and I say, did I do the right thing for my family or whatever? You know, could I have done better for them in another way? But but personally, I couldn't have done any better than I did. So. But what is better for them? You, you raised two tremendous girls. You have these two young women who have all the right perspectives on their own lives on, on trying to make their way in the world that'll make a difference. What could be better than that? And they saw in you somebody who was doing moral, ethical work, intellectual work. Very few professions you can say, I get up every morning, I have to think my way into what I'm doing and I have to do the right thing day in and day out in a world of complexity where the right thing isn't obvious always. That's beautifully said. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it at that, Bill. Your, your kind words, I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you for being on the show. Say happy to do it and go forth and do good. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate that. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. All right. Well, that's my show. I'd like to thank my friend, mentor, Professor Bill Ayers, man I've known for many years, who is an author, of course, but he also has a podcast called Under the Tree, a seminar on freedom. And he's had some incredible guests. I've gone through it and you should check it out if you get a chance. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, Sidelining Publishing, Publishers of Quality Books, laughsaver.com. Visit laughsaver.com and record your laughter. We'll keep it for you now and forever. It's free. That's laughsaver.com. So I'm going to end this show a little differently in honor of our friends in Ukraine and the folks in Russia as well. I'm going to end this show with Susan Salador's classic, I've Got Peace in My Fingers, hoping it all gets resolved soon. So until next time, this is Jay Rehack asking you all to please stay safe out there and try not to hurt anybody. I got peace, peace, peace in my fingers. Watch what I can do. I've got peace, peace, peace in my fingers. I'm going to shake hands with you. I got peace, peace, peace in my fingers. Watch what I can do. I've got peace, peace, peace in my fingers I'm gonna shake hands with you I've got words, words, 
words in my head Watch what I can do I've got words, words, words in my head I'm gonna talk things over with you I've got words, words, words in my head Watch what I can do I've got words, words, words in my head I'm gonna talk things over with you I've got love, love, love in my heart Watch what I can do I've got love, love, love in my heart I'm gonna give some to you I've got love, love, love in my heart Watch what I can do I've got love, love, love in my heart I'm gonna give some to you I've got peace, peace, peace in my fingers Words, words, words in my head I've got love, love, love in my heart I'm gonna